Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore. We are all lifelong learners, and nowhere is this more relevant than in the practice of leadership. Our goal is continual learning and improvement. Let's get after it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey folks, this is MK Palmore. Welcome to this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. Today, uh, I'm joined by Deidre Diamond, who's the CEO of CyberSN, a wonderful uh, company that's doing some really disruptive work around identifying cybersecurity talent, especially those coming from diverse populations. Uh, Deidre and I have known one another now for a few years, and uh, she's a uh, advocate, leader in the space and in cybersecurity in the wider technology field. And I thought it might be interesting to bring Deidre into the studio and have a conversation about my favorite topic, uh, which is leadership. Uh, and Deidre, I appreciate you being here in the virtual studio. Welcome. Absolutely. My favorite talk- topic to MK, and I'm psyched to be with you. Okay, cool. Uh, so the folks may not be familiar with uh, CyberSN, although I think they will be uh, uh, soon here in the coming years. Talk a little bit about the company that you run. Absolutely. Well, I founded CyberSN nine years ago, so I'm about to have our anniversary in September. And, uh, you know, the idea was that the pain that's associated with job searching and matching right now is so significant that it's a national security issue in itself. Uh, you know, we all know that people have to talk to many uh, people on the other end of the phone and video and all these things only to find out that they're, they're not the right match. And so that's what CyberSN solves. And it's um, bringing tremendous value both to professionals and reducing the stress and the anxiety of job searching, as well as to employers uh, reducing the cost and the same anxieties. Uh, and so uh, it's really nice to be able to help in that way. And um, many other great things happening beyond that, of course, and services around retention and training and developing talent. Uh, it's an important topic in our industry. Yeah, pretty all-encompassing. And uh, I, I hope that the listeners take some time to dig through the CyberSN website and see all the cool things that you're engaged in. Um, you, you also lead a nonprofit uh, in the DEI space. I want to make sure we have an opportunity to talk a little bit about that and what what prompted you to, uh, you know, yeah. kick the tires and light the fire on starting your own nonprofit. But I, I want to go back for a second and talk just a little bit about your career track, which, is, which I think is pretty interesting. I'm sure our listeners will find it interesting. How you got into the technology space and maybe some of your early experiences. Yeah, into the topic of management and leadership, it really is a, a key point as to why I consider myself an SME on the topic is that uh, my story in itself is the story that I'd like to see us repeat more out there. And I uh, am representing the less than 1% of women who have founded and self-funded their own technology firms. And so because of that, I can direct directly link my career development to that success, which is I was hired out of college by two serial entrepreneurial men that had a couple of corporations they owned, and I was trained and developed and mentored from day one to see uh, how I can be an executive underneath them. And that uh, brought me into the staffing business for 13 years of tech and then into Rapid7 as the first vice president of sales. 
uh, at Rapid7 and then into my first CEO role of one of their software companies and then back to or where I'm at today, which is starting my own firm and putting it all together, uh, the cyber professionals that I love so much and really worked with my sociology criminal justice degree, uh, and also uh, the staffing business that I loved being such a value add. Uh, and I realized that business had changed so so much that uh, I needed to help. So yeah, my my career is super rare. 21 years working for two serial entrepreneurial men who trained and developed me and hundreds and bottom line, thousands of others. I just happened to be in in the early days, you know, uh, to uh, be leaders in all disciplines. I happened to come up on the sales side first. So can you talk a little bit about what you might consider to be your first major leadership role? And um, uh, maybe I'm always interested in, you know, it's one thing to have confidence going into leadership roles, but I'm also interested in sort of the the self-talk that people go through in terms of getting themselves ready uh, for those types of roles. Um, So if you could talk just a little bit about first major role and how you felt going into it. Yeah, again, you know, the rarity of what I'm about to say is the concerning problem and why I don't see this 1% or under 1% being moving the needle at all is that I walked into a program that said, we'd like to develop you into a manager and a leader. Uh, Here's what that looks like. And I was in training meetings every day from day one, even after a manager, it was weekly. And so my first management position came very, that was significant, came very quickly because imagine if you're in that kind of program. And so I, to me, the most significant part of management was the first seat because I learned instantly, thank goodness from my trainer, that I was responsible for that person's success. And that has not left me to this day. My first trainee, I'll never forget, that reported to me, I was training that person verbatim from a phone call to phone call. My mentor happened to be in the other room, hearing it all go down. That person wasn't following me. I got upset, he got upset, the call went south. And uh, I was upset. And she grabbed me later that day and took me out and said, hey, Nobody comes to work to fail. He wasn't able to perform what you were doing. You were moving too fast. You got frustrated. Nobody comes to work to fail. And it's your responsibility that they're successful. And I was, it it literally hit me in the heart uh, well enough that I then took that into my seat and all the bigger, and of course the seats got bigger and bigger and bigger, which was nobody comes to work to fail. And if they're going to report to me, uh, my job is to make sure they're successful and figure it out. That was powerful. So that first seat still impacts me today. And that's 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes, um, especially early leaders, I think forget that the emphasis is about making your your team successful. uh, And there's a natural byproduct of that, you becoming successful as a leader, but you really have to think you have to invest uh, time, effort, resources in terms of developing these folks and making sure that they, uh, making sure that they win, right? Because when they win, the team wins, and you by product win naturally. So, uh, great concept, I think, to to, to learn early uh, in leadership. It's certainly, you know, account. They, the word accountability comes to mind. It's one of the emotional intelligence skills that I train on too. It's it's very uh, significant uh, to to understand if you're a manager. 
meaning you're in charge of somebody else's career. There's so much power in that tied to money and everything else that you must be accountable to understanding that that person isn't here to fail. What are you doing to make sure they're successful? How is your communication? So yes, it's a, it's an accountability thing to me that I'm so lucky I was trained on so young before I learned other possible habits, which is blaming others for not doing their job well, right? right. Uh, you know, I could have learned that first, maybe from somebody else, maybe a different manager could have said to me, you know, because I was the powerhouse sales person could have said to me, right? Oh, you know, that, that guy, you know, what a dummy. He could have just said exactly what you said and it never would have happened, which is true if he would have said what I said, but he didn't. And that's what made me upset. But the reality is he wanted to, he just wasn't moving, able to catch on yet that fast. Right. right? And so of course it was me. Yeah. And that is a, is, is a gift. So you, you, you touched on something that uh, that I, I thought might come up a little later, but why don't we dig into it now? I know you do a lot of work in the um, sort of um, EQ space, sort of understanding your your own emotional uh, and intelligence quotient like, that you bring to the leadership table. Can you talk a little bit about like the work that you do in that realm and how you think about EQ? Yes, uh, I was inspired to do this when I realized again that I represented that just under 1% and people just were asking me so many questions on why and how. And then I real I put time into it and I thought, wow, it's these, it's the emotional intelligence of our training uh, and our management uh, programs that I was brought into. And then of course, you know, enhanced and, and drove it throughout my career of training and developing people. That's what we do. That's what those founders were all about. And so, you know, um, to be able to communicate that to somebody else, it's, it's the same thing. It's like, it's a skill. It's not a concept. I mean, emotional intelligence means that if you want to persuade or run teams or just get humans to do things, you better care about how they think, feel, and perceive. And if you care, then here's the skills you need to, uh, you know, uh, have in your tool belt to actually help, which is things like we're talking about, win-win communication, right? Active listening, making and managing measurable agreements. The list could go on because there is a list of these skills. I'm, I'm super passionate about this because this type of communication keeps breakdown and upset and emotional distress at a very low place in life, not just work, in life. Yeah. And so I was taught it. I've done a lot of transformational mind dynamics trainings that, that also gave me this outside of my uh, 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 you know, operations training. And uh, I uh, believe in it uh, a ton. And I know the people that work within my organization and the organizations I've worked within uh, uh, believe and, and um, love it themselves. So e EQ, would, would you agree that it's a relatively, there's a rel relatively new focus on this in terms of a component of what it means to be a good leader? I think that the only reason it feels new is because people didn't like soft skills. Uh, they, you know, us humans, yeah. it's like, we have a wordsmithing issue. You know, if it's said one way, we like it said another way, it's not. And you add marketing onto that 
you know, and the whole, we went from mainframe to cloud, uh, you know, uh, um, at the end of the day, soft skills have been around forever and they used to be trained on at a greater capacity. This to me is one of the biggest problems we have is that HR departments and thing, you know, those resources that used to focus on these skills don't do much of this training anymore. You know, remember when was the last time you saw Myers Briggs or, uh, you know, situational leadership, yeah. MBTI, or, yeah. you know, yeah, those things. I mean, it, I'm in my fifties now. That was really commonplace back in the day for organizations of all sizes to, really take a look at this concept. And it doesn't mean they were training necessarily on EQ skills, but it all falls under the same, you know, result of better management skills and better people skills, those types of things. So I think that right now people like the concept of it being an EQ skill because IQ, it really then says, well, what about IQ? And oh, there's a difference between IQ and EQ and I can have strong EQ and maybe not strong IQ and be a badass. Yes, yes. And here's why, because all that IQ means is that you're a good test taker. And I'm not saying that's a bad, in a bad way. I'm just saying, and you know, funny, my brother's sitting outside who went to Yale and went to Stanford. He's sitting at my house right now. I'm looking at him out the window as I'm talking, which is so random. And of course I went to Cal State and, uh, and I don't, I'm not a test taker. I'm not even somebody that likes to be in academia. Uh, versus talking to people, socializing, working since I was 12, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, uh, until I learned this, there was a part of me that thought there was something wrong with my brain. Why don't I have high IQ? Why don't I do you? Right. I mean, it's also, this feeds into the conversation of, of, of um, neurodiversity too, which just is about how one learns. So IQ is the test taking side of the, you know, the brain and EQ is the other side and they're both have their own purposes. Uh, the good news about EQ is it can it can grow even as you fully developed as a human in our you know somewhere in our twenties, and that's the good news of it is that behaviors really can be uh, trained and developed throughout life if one wants to. Yeah, so I mean, a, a fair point um, you mentioned is that we were doing this kind of testing, making sure people understood their personality traits and sort of the baggage they may bring in and out of situations that they find themselves in. Um, but, but I, I, I still attest that the emphasis on it, I feel like it's new because I think we're more fully becoming aware of the individual's need to be supported. And, and as you aptly stated earlier, right, you know, your responsibility as a leader is to help this person, this team, these people grow. Uh, and develop, and certainly their wellness then becomes a part of uh, that decision matrix and how it is that you engage with these folks. So I think the I think the issue of leadership, which I've always believed to be a very complex discipline, just got even more complex. I think as folks start to pay attention to like what it takes to really build and 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 nurture a high performing and consistently performing team. You know, you're 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 absolutely right, MK, uh, MK. And you just reminded me how when I first started talking about this, like seven years ago, I used the Google uh, Harvard study called Aristotle uh, to say that, um, hey, finally, we have enough research to where 
uh, having strong EQ in managers equates to big money <laughs> for Always got to make the business case, yes. right? Business and, case, business case. Yes. And hey, everybody, the money is finally here to support this. And so I do believe we're going to see greater, you know, focus. You're absolutely right. I forget the, I forget that. That study is brilliant. It literally looked at Teams, Google Teams, and Harvard was in on the study and said, uh, tested their IQ, tested their EQ, and also got uh, you know how their teams felt about them, what their how their teams were doing uh, in terms of hitting their goals and such. And it showed that the leaders that had higher EQ and a little bit lower EQ than the high EQ managers that had low EQ outperformed them by miles. Right. By miles. So when you start seeing those studies and correlating the dollars, yes, you're right. That's why That's why the awareness, I think maybe the words that I was talking about, soft skills versus EQ skills, just helped it a little because I can tell you when I first started talking about this, people did not want to hear soft skills. They hated yeah. it. Well, even today, I think there's there's a push to move away from the term soft skills. They're trying to describe it as something else. I mean, I, I don't get wrapped around the axle uh, right. about it as a term, but I understand that people are trying to turn it into something else so that it has more impact in business, yes. right? Because yes. if you call it soft, then that somehow people make that synonymous with unimportant, yes. when, when in fact, yes. it's just the opposite. Yes. In fact, I tell people now, let me just tell you the first thing that comes out of every employer's mouth. I want somebody with good communication skills. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. Number what, what, one. Number one. It doesn't number matter one. what level of a role it is. And to somebody that joined this industry of tech staffing in 1994, January, I can tell you that the first question we had to ask in every job call was, will this person ever interact with another human? <laughs> Contrast that, MK, and I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. And 95% of the time it was a no, which is what we hoped for yeah. because the professionals were not great communicators. They were literally, the term was, or will they be in the back room? I mean, so I'm not kidding you. So, you know, here we are, that's 1994. And, you know, geek is chic. And um, you better be able to talk and solve, and not just talk, like solve problems by talking. Yeah. Critical thinking and communication skills. And, and I think communication skills, certainly for me, I found a lot, of, a lot of benefit in it. It's something I concentrate on and hope to continue to develop throughout my career. Um, it, it continues to rise to the top. If you can communicate even in the in of course our highly technical environments if you can communicate highly technical concepts uh in a room with people everywhere from the technical experts all the way down to the the folks who just don't even really understand the basic concepts if you're an effective communicator uh it's a skill that's very well sought after uh and then people will pay you to do that yeah and you know effective doesn't mean you're right and they didn't get it and so there's you know what can you yeah. do effective is that you can create a win-win situation where people are moving forward, even if it's not what, you know, they intended the forward motion to look, look like when they came into a meeting or a situation, it's really yeah. gotta be about forward motion problem solving. Yeah. Progressing the conversation. Right. Um, yes. So I, I'm always particularly interested when I talk to CEOs and founders uh, about mentally what it takes to make that leap. Uh, mm -hmm. to launch and, and sort of go off on your own. I, I'm an admirer of the 
the entrepreneur and sort of that, the, the, the characteristics and skills that it takes. Can you talk a little bit about founding your own company? Um, you know, the, where you were in your life in terms of your leadership journey and like what made you feel confident that you could uh, strike off on your own? Yeah, yeah, it's such a great question. And I'm surprised I don't get asked it more because it really is psychological, as we can all imagine, you know, to fund one's own company is a significant uh, amount of pressure and stress. <laughs> so why and how and all that yeah. good stuff. Why, why would you sign uh, up? Why would you why, sign up for that? <laughs> especially nowadays where being a small business owner is 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 becoming impossible between compliances and, and cost and what have you. In fact, I, I'm nine years in and I think, thank goodness I started nine years ago. It's much harder now uh, in that cost uh, factor. Uh, and so for me, you know, the interesting thing is that I, those, those two serial entrepreneurial men I worked for made it feel like I worked for myself. <laughs> like I was at the top. There was me and them and at a very, very young age. I mean, you know, by 26 years old, it was I'm at the top making my own decisions, running things, being uh, given a lot of authority and of course being very successful. And so uh, I was also running a million miles a minute, never taking more than two weeks off a year. Uh, and um, had to learn along the way how to identify self-care. So anyhow, when it was, once I was 21 years in, the gentlemen I worked for were much older and retiring and not doing things. It really, I was like, how could I go work for somebody else? <laughs> like, I, don't, yeah. I don't even know if that's possible. I, I started entertaining it and then I was talking to people, I'm like, not, I'm not going to prove myself to somebody. I'm not going to, I don't want to report to a board anymore. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want, I'm tired of that sort of, you know, and why do I need to do that now? And so uh, it was really quite obvious to me that I, I loved the cyber community. I missed them because at that point I was now CEO of a content management company that the founders owned. And, um, and I wanted to be in that community again. And the work that I did in staffing was incredible, uh, successful. And so as I was talking to the cyber community, they, everybody was sharing how they couldn't find each other. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you're looking for work and you've been looking for six months. And I just talked to so-and-so over there and he he's looking for you is what I, I yeah. literally, I went to Black Hat to see what everybody was doing and stuff. And that's when I was like, you know what, I'm just putting the two of these things together. And I uh, jumped off the, the deep end. I will say that um, because I took a sabbatical in between, um, you know, this decision, I was exhausted. I was tired. I did the three years that they needed me to do at the at, at their firm, and and I took a sabbatical. That during that sabbatical, I had a lot of amazing people like, "What are you doing? What's going on? What's happening?" You know, they wanted to work with me again, and were constantly like checking in and when are we doing this? Let's do something. And so that also really pushed me that these people were uh, wanting to, to and, and, and they're here today at CyberSN, those people uh, in particular, Don Signs, my first hire. And so I was, you know, just reminded how much, well, that others want to keep the story going and want our companies uh, that really develop and train people and care about people to continue. And so I felt this also um, accountability to not letting the story stop because 
you know, as I said, this was thousands of people whose careers have been impacted in such a positive way between these firms, uh, both tech, non-tech, doesn't matter. So, so that's sort of the story. Uh, and I, at the time, was, um, you know, nowhere near the type of financial situation I became uh, with Rapid7 going public, of course. And so I founded when I didn't have, you know, and that yeah. was that when I look back at it, I think, good gosh, you were uh, definitely um, not going to be working for somebody else. You took that leap when I look back. <laughs> so that's the story. Hey, so um, uh, building teams, especially that initial team that's going to help you launch this is a pretty um, important component, I think, of any successful, uh, long lasting business. How'd you go about identifying folks that you wanted to be part of your team? Um, and then talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you start nurturing that team relationship to actually get folks moving in the direction. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, I'm lucky that people really like me and liked working for me. So I had a lot of people that I could reach out to both on the sales side and the tech side. And that's what I did. And, 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 you know, we're in business today, uh, to, you know, all I did was build teams and uh, both sales and tech. So for me, I have access, still have access to a lot of amazing people. But when I first started with CyberS and I didn't realize that I would become a tech company, uh, it really happened in my sixth week. Uh, as we were making matches with every company is a tech company, right? <laughs> well, the, I, I shouldn't say tech company. I wouldn't, I, sh I didn't realize that I would build a software job matching or excuse me, okay. I would, that I would build a job matching platform. I didn't realize that the industry of all staffing was so disrupted during the digital era because I've got out of staffing for 10 years. And so originally I just thought I was going to build my army of salespeople and do what mm -hmm. we do in staffing. And then I started to do that. And I was like, wait, why is it taking us so long to make matches? What the hell is going on? And got dove into it within weeks. And I, this is a disaster. What one company is saying is a security engineer. Another company's got different. They all have these different job descriptions. Nobody's speaking the same language. So, you know, for me, once I had that in front of me, now it was a different situation of building teams, of course, mm -hmm. it wasn't just yeah. salespeople. And so I, you know, our tech leader is uh, Dom Glavich. He's been with me since my seventh year, or our seventh year. And I need, you know, you have to have those people. I didn't do any of this alone. I have department heads that are within the first 12 months of this company's existence or 18 months that are still here. And they're the big reason. So you have to identify them. It's not easy. Uh, but for me, I come from, that's what I do for our, my own companies or our own companies, never mind for employers, we yeah. build teams for them. So I've learned so much about how to identify, you know, talent. So, so part of that's the relationships that you had. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what about the opportunity to maybe bring on folks who's, who you don't have existing relationships mm -hmm. with? What types of characteristics, characteristics do you look for? in new team members like what rises to the top for you in terms of when you identify it, like that person's going to work here um yeah in our system in our culture so one of the first things that matters to me is interest level uh i really believe that humans can do whatever they want if they're extremely interested and so i'm really gonna test and and look at this interest level piece like well everybody wants a job everybody says they you know they want to be trained they want to be developed all those things that i have to offer but how interested are they really in the work we do? Because uh, 
to me, again, humans can learn. I provide training environments. I like people learning on the job. I don't expect to hire people that know everything for what they're going to be doing. In fact, I don't like that model because I think it leads to poor retention. So if I already know they're going to do a lot of learning being with me and then I'm okay with them learning on the job, then I got to know that they want to learn this content to learn this domain, to learn this solution, you know? So I focus a lot on them and what they want to do and what, what interests them and why. And really, uh, that's really important to me. Have you, have you had any, um, misses? Like yes. real big misses, like where you brought someone on board, thought they were going to work out. And then for whatever reason they didn't. And, yes. and like, were you able to identify what you might've missed in those initial conversations? Another great another great question that I think I want to start talking about a lot more because yes, uh, <laughs> I wish not. Uh, and, um, you know, those situations don't always feel good and good, right? When there's a misfit and uh, I take accountability for that, that stinks. You know, it's not fun. And yet I'm not perfect. And sometimes I think I know what I need and it's not what I need, or I thought the person has it. Yes, it's rare, <laughs> you know, it's not often. It, it, it's, a, it's enough that it requires me to check in and think about, you know, how that happened type of thing. But, um, I'll tell you, the, the, you know, being in my 50s, business has gotten more complex, right? So when mm -hmm. I was Building businesses in the 90s and even the earlier 2000s when people still weren't using even email <laughs> or tech, you know, it was the phone and, you know, uh, the fax machine. Um, there was more space for uh, a leader to really know all domains or more than one domain or what have you. And now things are super complex. And that's been, that was sort of the challenge for me growing in business is how to not be the SME on everything. Cause really everything was sales and marketing <laughs> before tech <laughs> and, uh, and rely on those people that, you know, I could, I don't have the same knowledge expertise on. And that includes things like even digital marketing, you know, it's not, tech by, you know, by itself, it's the use of tech to do business today that is, uh, has been challenging for me from a, you know, yeah. A perspective. So yeah, it's, uh, I make, I, I make those mistakes and they're painful for everybody, not just me. And yet they happen. Yeah. So um, hopefully this isn't a tough question. How would you describe yourself as a leader? And and you're not like limited to any one sentence or anything, but like if if someone walks away from an experience with you, what do you think their description of you as a leader is? I think they think of me as a visionary that sees um, problems and wants to solve them and cares about solving them for community uh, uh, betterness. And that um, I like to build teams and provide work environments that people love. I think that's the thing that people think about me. Uh, I'm also very, you know, uh, organized, detail-oriented, and don't like to repeat myself. And I think people <laughs> probably know that. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm a joy to work with. 
except for one time. If you make me repeat myself more than two times because you're not paying attention, I literally can have my face go from a, a, a smile to a frown upside down, you know? It's like, That's interesting. Yes. So, that, so, so since you said that, now I'm now going to ask all of my uh, future guests around, like, what's the thing that kind of rubs you the wrong way and and, yes. and, and irks you in the leadership space? But uh, that's, that's interesting. Yes. Um, yes. Hey, uh, I, I so I, I talked to all of my guests about, you know, very basic concept around, you know, teaching leadership, the ability of people to learn, grow and develop. Um, and I've had some guests one or two, mostly folks from military backgrounds like myself, who um, we share military backgrounds, but not our perception of this issue. Some people believe that leaders are absolutely born like you. Um, mm. Maybe there's a couple of additional things that you add in, but that these people come to the, come to this game and the planet with already the, the mental capacity to lead and to do things really, really well in that space. And all they need is a couple of different things to really light their fire. I, I am of the mindset that, uh, that, that leaders are made. Um, what are your thoughts around that topic, born or made? I think made with, uh, you know, certain born attri attributes that make it easier uh, to be made. So uh, I would probably be seemed as a, deemed as uh, more of an extrovert as a, as a youngster. But I was also told by my stepfather, who's no longer with us all the time, that you're a leader. You're a leader. Everybody likes you. Everybody follows you. Do good with it. You're a leader. I mean, I must have heard that so many times that I can't help to think that that is a big reason yeah. why I'm where I'm at today. And so um, also, I will say that I have worked with many more introverted um, people to uh, who became great leaders. And it was only by working for me that they ever had anybody say that they could be. And that's why I know it's um, made is that I have seen, and this is primarily on the tech side of things, too many and witness and experience too many of those people be told at early ages, even in their career, that they're not for management. They're, you know, they're not for leadership, interchange the word, whatever, whichever one you want to use. And they believed it. I have some of them on my team now. In fact, one that I can think of that runs product and he is incredible. And I said, what? No, you can do whatever you want. I'm not telling you you have to or you ought to. I'm just saying if you want to, for sure you can. And look, and here we are six years later and he's just crushing and he, he wasn't managing anything when he came. And so he was our security engineer. Uh, so um, my point is that I think that there are attributes that we can, you know, be so either born with or maybe given as a young, as a youngster, more extrovert experiences. At the end of the day, most of us are what we've, what we've been told we are is a yeah. big impact or can be, or can't be. I mean, just like I was told I can't be in tech. So I didn't even think about tech. I was also told I couldn't be an attorney when I wanted to be an attorney because I'm a woman. And so it really discouraged me. How crazy is that? You know, yeah. that's, that's what happens in life. I, I'm glad you said what you just said around um, the beginnings in terms of your stepfather providing that level of confidence and that indication to you that you could lead. Because I, I actually believe that um, by doing so with children and with people that at a young age, indicating to them that 
they, you know, there's something there. You could lead, you could be in charge, you know, use whatever terms you, you want that conveying that at a very early age is the is the only seed that's necessary to have someone to begin to believe that they can do it. And like you said, if you believe you can do it, you then look for those experiences uh, to develop your skills, go deeper into the discipline. And without that seed, sometimes it turns out that people just don't become leaders. Yes. And, you know, within that, that's a choice then versus a condition response. Uh, I'd like to see us giving choices. And here's the other thing. I've also seen that depending on where one's at in their life, maybe not today, uh, someone wanting to to be a manager or in a leadership role, but then they find themselves six years later and they do. And if they're not working in an environment that fosters that mental safety to even think about it, change their mind, you know, it's really limiting uh, to label people. We need to stop that somebody can or can't do anything. So I I want to shift gears a little bit to a topic that I know we're both passionate about in terms of um, women, people of color and, uh, and other traditionally underrepresented minorities sort of being in leadership roles and in the space. Um, what, what's been your experience being a, a leader as a, as a woman, especially in the tech industry? Um, overall positive, have you had instances where you thought that, um, you know, the, the, the fact that you're a woman is something that you had to sort of, I don't know, like an obstacle that was presented to you in terms of how you show up in the industry and how you operate and, and work? Um, What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that I had 99% less of the problems that every other uh, woman has. And that's why I'm sitting in this seat. And that's why I had to found uh, secure diversity is realizing that, uh, again, another reason why I've been successful is I didn't have the the typical experiences uh, working for those to uh, serial entrepreneurs, it was a very different experience than what most women get. That being said, um, and I, I want to talk about that a little bit more in a minute, is that in my own career, uh, I found being a woman in sales and technology and cyber was a value add because I didn't have it, the problems in my employer side of things and that, you know, being a woman in the business was rare. So I was able to, you know, understand that that helped just because there's less of us and it's, mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't want to talk to somebody that they don't usually get to talk to. So in that case, it sort of helped me, but that's a product of not, you know, discrimination, <laughs> you know, in itself. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't until I started playing, you know, in the millions uh, of dollars of income and stock and those types of things that I saw some things that, for sure were disheartening some of them a few of them and i talk about them very um you know subconscious uh, actions mm-hmm. that were that actually came from a good place but weren't you know uh which is what we call unconscious biases and i can talk about it if you want uh and um and 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 that was interesting slash at times you know had to really do some work and check in on my um, community, you know, how I was going to deal with those things. Right. 
uh, and, um, you know, most of us don't deal with new things well <laughs> after we do them. And, you know, so I, I learned a lot about how to, let's say, uh, you know, uh, not only am I a woman, I didn't have children. So, and I play a high value game, stock options, right? Building com tech companies. Um, there was a lot of instances where, because I didn't have children or, uh, you know, deemed able to do work that others, because yeah. they had children, right? Those types of things that, that, you know, but again, comparison to what my sisters deal with uh, that I get calls on still today on a regular basis because of you know who i am in the industry with secure diversity it's disheartening it's uh, maddening uh so you know the stats haven't significantly changed uh in fact uh, as a ce fellow ceo of mine and i were chatting the other day and she was sharing she's in tech and she was sharing how her daughter just started in tech and got the same, you know, sort of issues with the male developers that she remembers having 30 years ago, and she didn't think it existed anymore. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so those of us that make it can easily be removed because we didn't make it by having it for many, many yeah. years around, you know, it's so, ah, so we've got work to do. Uh, yes. And there's other things that I could get into as, you know, to, to share as I'm sure you can. I also feel like capitalism is a big part of where I started seeing it. Yeah. Are, are we, as, as a society, this is a big question, are we capable of fixing this? I think that when there's roles and responsibilities that are clearly defined and promotional criteria that is clearly defined, it can be fixed. It's the reason why I sit here. I walked into a program that was clearly defined. Everybody's promotions were clearly defined. So when I got promoted or anybody got promoted, everybody knew. There was no, it was so transparent. That's what I'm saying. Like what I walked into was gold from the perspective of developing people. There was all kinds of people, age groups, you know, nationalities, genders, I mean, I had somebody when I was 24 reporting to me that was 35, you know, uh, and we didn't care. Nobody cared because we had a focus. We knew what we were doing. We were making money. We were being successful. We were being trained. And so to me, without measurable agreements, promotion criteria that's transparent, it's politics and greed yeah. and relationships that, that dictate the work environment. And with that, we will never not have discrimination, whether it be about, if for any reason, discrimination can only exist in that model. Yeah, which which means that there's a, a pretty steep hill to climb there. <laughs> it does, you know, yeah. uh, it, it does. I, you know, the good news is that more federal regulations are coming about this. Uh, this concept of retaining talent. I mean, as you mm -hmm. know, we wouldn't, diversity wouldn't even have a, of space to be spoke about in corporate America if it wasn't for the federal government. Uh, you know, it, it's these types of standards that help. I know that they can also cause other challenges for us all, but without them, we wouldn't even be in the conversation no. and in the game. So I think we're going to start to see because it is a big problem. If you just measure job responsibilities, goals, transparency of, of promotions, I mean, come on, it's not that hard. We can get to the moon. We can freaking AI and everything else. <laughs>
<laughs> so maybe this is a, a natural segue into yeah. a, a little bit of background on the nonprofit that you started, uh, Secure Diversity. Can you talk a little bit about what, what the impetus was there and, and what you guys are doing and what you hope to accomplish? Yeah, for sure. Seven years ago, when the everybody started getting uh, aware of the Booth Babe uh, issue, meaning we literally used to call people Booth Babes in the industry, and the, that meant you know employers sending models to conferences and not teaching them anything about the business, nothing to say, just using their bodies as a marketing material to get uh, ba scanned badges. And seeing that really bothered me as it bothered a lot of other leaders. And so I, I founded Secure Diversity first. It was Brain Babe, as you know, MK, uh, to staff conferences with students. We called it Steam Con Connection under the Brain Babe platform. Uh, and we did RSA for the, was the first one uh, so that we can stop this. This is ridiculous. I said, let's train. That's not the, the, the women aren't the problem. It's not a problem that they're beautiful or that somebody deems them beautiful. The problem is that nobody's willing to teach them about this industry. We need more people, sales, marketing, and tech. Let's train them on what is cybersecurity? What are they talking about? What are they doing? And so that's how it started. Uh, and um, of course, Booth Babe concept went away and everybody started bringing their sales engineers and their own employees now. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, as we advanced into hashtag me too, and people really didn't love the name Babe, I went to secure diversity <laughs> and, uh, and that is uh, where we really launched the day of security, uh, you know, co-founded day of security conference. It's now over 1100 women that gives the stage uh, to women and underrepresented genders to, to speak and teach uh, both new to cyber and people with experience. Our last event had 32 countries and over 1100. And that's kind of how it's been for the last many years. And so we're just, really getting a ton of value out of helping women grow and develop. And then last I'll say SANS cohort, executives uh, cohort that I created so that we're funding women getting into cloud security executive roles, uh, GRC executive roles and security operation executive roles. So I'm now really focused on that glass ceiling that's pissing me off uh, in <laughs> for women in cyber. Well, Deidre, it's been uh, really outstanding having a conversation with you. Um, I, I feel lucky. Uh, I get to talk to you uh, frequently now, uh, but I, I, I'm excited that uh, my listeners are going to get an opportunity to know who you are and a little bit about your background and these topics that you're passionate about to include your experience in the leadership realm. So thank you for your time. Ditto. I appreciate you and all the work you do with Cyversity. I love Cyversity, as you know, and super excited about how we all can collaborate too. So thanks for having me and anybody who's interested in EQ tree slides and things like that, just reach out to me at uh, DD at CyberSN. Outstanding. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast. This is MK Palmore. Uh, please follow the Leadership Student newsletter on LinkedIn and uh, like, share, and comment when these uh, podcast episodes are released. We'll see you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Student Podcast with M.K. Palmore, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, 
Then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.